0: Genesis 35. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the fellowship of the saints, Lord, and your Holy Spirit that is abiding with us and empowering us. We lift up your word to you this morning. We ask that that these precious words, Lord, would point us to you, Lord Jesus, in our daily life, that you would minister to us wherever we're at, whatever circumstances we may be in, that your Holy Spirit would. Uh, Have a word for each person this morning that we would not leave until we uh, hear it and know it and walk in it. Lord, bless us as we seek you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, we've been following the story of Jacob. We're we're almost uh, finished with him. Actually, we'll be finished with him today. Jacob has reconciled with his brother Esau. And this dramatic event, they hug each other and they have a great time. And the Lord is calling Jacob back into the land. Most people believe he's calling him back to Bethel. And so Jacob, he decides to head back. He faces Esau. They get reconciled after 20 years of whatever was going on in their family. And instead of Jacob crossing over the Jordan River going back into the land, he decides that he wants to hang out on the east side of the Jordan River. And he hangs out in this place called Sukkoth, which basically it means tents, or not tents, I'm sorry, uh, shelters. He, He builds kind of a house. He built a house there outside of where God had called him to build. Now building houses, there's nothing wrong with that. The Lord is calling you to come back into the land, and you stop short of what he asks you to do. That's disobedience. And we're going to see the consequences in his family's life, again, just as the patriarchs before him, what happens there. And so he built a house there in Sukkoth. He's supposed to be a man who dwells in tents, a sojourner. And so there's this spiritual picture of him just kind of hanging out in this one place, hunkering down short of what God would have fully for him. And he wakes up and he decides, hey, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and try to obey the Lord here. And he moves back into the land. He finally goes back into the land. Yes, I'm going for it. But again, he, he kind of stops short and he, and he ends up and he sees this place called Shechem, great for trading, probably great for his cattle on the outskirts, uh, out, outskirts of the hill. And he pitches his tent basically towards Shechem. He's in the land, but it's a Canaanite stronghold. It's a carnal place. It's worldly. It's wicked. And there's a pattern. And so Jacob has now brought his family into the influence of this deeply pagan society. And Jacob has 11 sons, and at this point he has one daughter mentioned, Dinah. Dinah went out to go hang out with the girls of the city. Go intermingle, see what's going on. And unfortunately, Shechem, of Shechem, the ruler's son, age check, yeah, he he raped Dinah. Horrible situation. This did not have to happen. Now we can't avoid all tragedy. But there's a pattern here, I think, that the Holy Spirit is laying out in Jacob's leadership. Horrible things will happen on this, in, this, in this life. But in this case, and I would say in many of the tragedies of our life, it could have been avoided if Jacob had obeyed the voice of the Lord and to begin with and returned to Bethel. If he had just taken the time to hear the Lord and to move his family back to where the Lord had called him to go. Come back to my house, son. But he decided to stay on the other side. He decided to park his family next to this city of horrible influence. Building that house on the other side of the river that desensitized him. When we fall short of obeying God, we become desensitized in our spirit. We become callous to what he really wants of us and what he wants to say to us. We hear his voice less clearly. And that's why Jesus says, hey, it's great if you hear my words, but man, if you obey them, that is the ticket. It's not only hearers, but doers of the word that the Father is seeking. That's where the blessing comes. That's where our faith is actually put into action. And I don't know about you, but I, I love to hear about God, and I love to read the Bible and search the scriptures, and then I wake up and go, yeah, but I have to do it. Okay, well, today, God, I'm I'm, gonna, I'm willing to go to... Suck off. Short. On the other side of the river. And then, you know, okay, well, I guess I'll go, but I want a little bit of the world in my life. Just let me have a little bit of the world. All right, son. Let's see how that goes. And we entertain ourselves in these areas. And they become ingrained in our culture, in our life. And we become desensitized enough to win... For example, when Jacob moved into land, he was willing to encamp his family in the midst of an extremely worldly culture and and engage his family in those activities. Called to be in it, not of it, right? It's not that we're to be outside of the world, it's that we're to be a light to the world. And there's a big difference. It may seem like a good move financially, being able to trade and all, but it was the worst possible move for his family. Sometimes those are Two different things. You know, we think, okay, wait, good financially or good relationally, good this, or it's a great school or whatever we might want to think, but sometimes those decisions can actually be detrimental to our family, even though we gain materially or gain in certain ways. And it's hard to stop and seek the Lord on those things because they're so enticing. They pull at us. And so it's not that we're not to engage in these circumstances. It's just that we're to be prayerfully entering into them and seeking the Lord's will above all. And after Dinah had been raped, Jacob, he failed in his leadership and he he didn't say anything about it. And so the two brothers of Dinah, Simeon and Levi, they took matters into their own hands and through deceit and through false promises of giving their sister to this man, this guy liked Dinah, says, hey, I want to marry her. Well, the guys, they take advantage of that weakness, and what do they say? Hey, well, do you get circumcised, and then our, our people can intermarry. A little bit of spiritual, false spirituality there. And so these guys, they go ahead and go, yeah, that sounds great, and their intention, the people of Shechem, was that eventually they intermarry and overtake their possessions, so this sounded like a great thing. So they go ahead and get circumcised, and on the third day, when the guys are all sore, Those two brothers went and they killed every single last guy in the town. Took their wives, took their stuff, and brought it on home. Jacob failed to lead. And when he failed to lead, when he failed to respond to this tragedy, what happened? Others filled in the void. And it often happens sinfully. Then Jacob hears about what they did, and how does he respond? "Hey, you've made me a stench to this whole land. What have you done to me? What if the surrounding places hear of this and gather together against me and my family dies? Or is destroyed? Well, you know what a mess. Look what you guys have done to me. This stinks still not addressing his daughter who was violated. And we left with Simeon and Levi just justifying their actions by saying, should our sister be treated like a prostitute? These are heavy things. And so we have this horrible mess. Jacob didn't obey the Lord. Listen up, church. He didn't obey the Lord. He failed in his leadership over his family in many areas. He was self-focused. He didn't go into the land, but he stayed and he built the house. On the other side of the river, he fell short of what God had asked him to do. When he went into the land, instead of going to Bethel, he went to Shechem. He made good business decisions and financial decisions, but poor family decisions. Again, sometimes they're not the same. When his daughter was violated, he didn't do anything. He failed to seek God and lead. And when his sons went berserk, he was concerned about his own reputation and the impact it would have upon him. I understand that there was probably the family concern in general, but we see that there's a selfishness involved here. It's a mess. His daughter was raped. His sons are mass murderers. His reputation now stinks in the entire land. His His daughter has been used as a pawn. His sons are at odds with him. He's now fearful. The family is falling apart. It's falling apart. Put yourself in Jacob's sandals, you know what I mean? What would that be like? Some of us have experienced it, some of us are in it. It's horrible. So many problems, relational devastation all around you. It surrounded him, and it seemed like there was no way out. and then god said to jacob chapter 35 verse 1 go up to bethel and settle there and build an altar there to god who appeared to you you and you were fleeing from your brother esau jacob's family it's broken his reputation stinks He's been messing around where he ought not. He's been building the house on the other side of the river, entangling his family in the world. And God speaks to Jacob and he says, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar to God. Go up. That word means arise. He doesn't tell Jacob, hey, Jake, it's over. Sit down. You've messed up. You're benched. You're done for. Look what you've done. Rubs his nose and kicks him to the side. He says, get up. Arise. Man, God's grace just blows me away. How many of you need to hear arise? When you've made the horrible decision that put your family in jeopardy, when you've done the stupid thing and now your wife is hurting or your kids are hurting, when you've let your kids go and mingle in dangerous situations. Not that there aren't dangerous situations all around, but you knew that it was a moral failure on your part, a failure in leadership. And when the enemy's just kicking you down, and when you're just sitting in there in the midst of your devastation, you, you've reaped what you've sown, how many of us need to hear arise? A rise? Stand up, get up, and go to Bethel. I need to hear that. He wants us to get up. He wants us to get up and go. But where does he want us to go? To Bethel, to the house of God. The place, Jacob, where you first met me, where I saved you where we first met, my house, my presence, come home. Remember when you were running and you awoke to the reality that I was with you. I'm still here. Remember when it was a mess and you met me in that place where you felt separated and I promised life and security and blessing and hope. And you worshiped me and we had communion. Come back to me. Jacob, you've been in Suck off, and you've been in Shechem far too long. Return to my house, to my presence. Return to me. Your soul is weary. Come home. Arise and go to Bethel. You know, it's amazing for many of us sheep how we get messed up like this. You know, and the circumstances and the complexity of the circumstances we get in, the hurts and the pains that, we are experiencing and that others are experiencing and just the just how tangled sin can get and the consequences of all of our actions in our relationships and it just seems like there's a devastation that cannot be fixed people we love have been hurt by us and by others around us or circumstances and it's just a mess and I find myself nitpicking and warring and trying to control the circumstances and to go redeem it myself and to fix them or to, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Anybody there? Just me. This is my sermon, okay? All right, this is for me. Everybody's like, man, you're messed up. Yes. And I try to go war it out like the brother's. Or I'm indifferent and I become calloused and hard when someone else, I've hurt someone or I've allowed someone to be hurt or someone is hurting and I totally shut off and I ignore how they feel. It's plain as day in front of me. So what about Dinah? Anyone? Or maybe you know someone like that. Like Jacob, and the, he's, he's hard at work to focus us on each other, to focus on the faults across the room, and, and by the way, those things are real and they hurt. I'm not discounting them whatsoever. There are messy situations. There are there's pain. People cause us pain. There are people who are treating us unjustly. There's people who are callous to us, or we are. These these situations happen in our families, in our relationships, in our lives. And it's usually at this point that we feel hopeless and we just get so terminally frustrated. What do I do? I can't change this person. What do I do? I can't, they won't change or this, they've hurt me so much or whatever it's, whatever's happening. And I'm constantly reminded that the only way through all of this is to Arise not to run from it like Jacob has done in the past, but to run to God. To run, to go up, to go to him. Arise and go to Bethel to put my eyes back upon Jesus. I cannot fix it. I cannot maneuver enough. I cannot manipulate enough. I'm causing more pain it's time to go to Jesus. These are save people so to speak here. Perhaps you're in it this morning. My brothers and sisters, perhaps you're in the midst of it. Arise and go to the house of God. Go to Bethel. Yes, church on Sunday, we gather together, absolutely. But that's speaking of that abiding presence, that abiding relationship with Jesus. And perhaps you've been walking with him your whole life and, you, and you, you've, you've never heard his voice. You never know what it is to actually hear him speak in the midst of the storm. I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would encourage you this morning in that and that you would hear his voice in what to do, what not to do, where to go, what to do in the midst of it. The Lord desires to speak into your circumstance through his word, through godly people. So go home. Go to Jesus. Oh, but I can't, Matt. God's mad at me. He's, he's upset at me. He's angry with me. Yeah, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, can't we? We can grieve Him. But you know what? God's anger and His wrath was poured out on His Son. Should we sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Our lives should be changed by this grace. Deuteronomy 20, verse 2-4 through four says, And I'm going to be speaking about a commentary here in a second. It says, When you're about to go out into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. And he shall say, Here, Israel, today you're going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified for them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you victory. In his Daily of Devotion that John Corson uh, gives out on this commentary, he says, Uh, on this passage, he says, there's no way to know how great God is until you are in a situation you can't handle, until you don't know what to do, until it is seemingly impossible to solve the problem. We will only know how great and loving our God is when we are in over our heads, completely at a loss. I've been there. So have you. Maybe you're there right now. The priest is to say, don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. He brought you out of Egypt, out of the world, out of hell, and he's not going to let you go now. God loves Jacob. And he is with him in the midst of the mess. And he loves you this morning. The Lord told Jacob, get up and go to Bethel and arise. Go to Bethel. And he said, guess what? Third thing, settle. He said, get up, go to Bethel, go to my house and stay put, settle, abide daily with me. Flee from the enticing places, the place on the other side of the river, the Shechem's. Get up and go to his house. Go back to our first love, amen? Spend time at the feet of Jesus like Mary, the one thing that is needed. Learn to hear his voice again, or perhaps for the first time. Go up to Bethel, settle, and then it says, and to build an altar. Re-engage in worship, sacrifice to the Lord. This isn't to earn salvation, this is discipleship. You know, when we begin to engage in this relationship, this sweet relationship with the Lord, he begins to speak to the areas in our lives. And as we dwell and as we worship the Lord, he's going to bring up areas of motivation in our hearts. Things that he would say, son, daughter. This is, this is not the way. Will you give that to me? Will you surrender that? Oh, but Lord, it's shiny and pretty and I like it and I've used it all my life. Will you lay it down? Will you embrace the cross with me? Will you let me live through you? being crucified with Christ. And as we dwell and we worship and we enjoy and be thankful to the Lord, to the Lord, he's gonna lift us up out of our mess. He's gonna give us perspective that we did not have. Not because we've jumped through level five of you know, Jesus' time, but because we're focused on the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who sees the big picture, who knows how to handle all this. And by the way, God can work in the hearts of people, just like he worked in the hearts of Esau and Jacob, and brought them together in a seemingly impossible circumstance. He can work in the hearts and lives of you, your family, your brother, your sister, your neighbor, whoever it is, to reconcile people. We are about the ministry of reconciliation. Redemption. That is who we're to be about. That's what we're to be about. And so God calls Jacob to respond to his call to dwell in his presence once again. And Jacob comes out of the mess. Come home, Jacob. Verse 2, And so Jacob said to his house and to all who were with him, Hey, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. He's been with me. God reminded me of that recently. It's difficult to lead spiritually after you've failed, isn't it? It's difficult to, man, to get up and take that position that God has given us when we've failed. When we've been a moron. Nevertheless, Jacob, when he is connected with the Lord, he assumes the rightful position of what God has called him to do. To lead his family to the house of the Lord, to that relationship with the Lord. But Jacob, he knew the blessings came from heeding the voice of God, and he knew that the blessing in his life and his family came from him, and so he had to respond. And so Jacob, he took that spiritual leadership of his home again, but notice the heart of it. Notice the heart of it. Jacob was convicted in his spirit. He responded to the grace of God. He responded to the grace of God. This is important, church. The grace of God was upon him and he turned and in turn he he called to his family and said, let's get up and go. Hey family, get rid of the foreign gods. Get rid of those things that are sinful and that have your affections. We're going back to the house of God. I've seen the devastation. I've seen the things, the entrenchment of the enemy. It's time to go. And this is what the grace of God should do in our lives. It should inspire holiness. Holiness, separate to separate ourselves from God. And this is the role of the man of God in the home. Is to inspire this and encourage this. To purge the evil influence from our homes. To watch and protect, not as a uh, legalistic but in response to the relationship that we have with God, all oh, the grace, the goodness that God has been pouring out in us. In turn, we, our eyes are opened and sensitized to the tactics and the snares and the you know landmines that are all around us. And to say, family, let's go. And sure, they might kick and scream a little bit. But it's life, it's goodness, and it's a response to the grace of God. So sometimes we have to make those this difficult decisions. You know, as a family, we're not watching that thing anymore. It's, it's contrary to what God has, has revealed in my heart through his word, through his spirit. I can't listen to that anymore. I can't be in that immoral relationship anymore. Oh, man, that's that's legalism. Telling me I can't watch, you know, The Voice or something. No, that's not what I'm saying. It can be if it's not a response of grace in our lives. God, notice, God did not say to Jacob, get rid of your gods and come to Bethel. What did God tell him? In the midst of his mess, you come to me with all your crud, come to me. And that is how we come to Jesus. And the difference between the cross of Jesus Christ and the difference between everything else in this world, friends, is that everybody else is saying, get rid of your stuff, be perfect, then present yourself. And God says, come to me with your mess because you're so messed up and I love you. Come. Come with your addictions. Come with your problems. Come with your marriage issues and your baggage and all. It's just come to me, come to me. Just come. And that grace, working in the heart of Jacob, he responded. He was awoken to the idols in his life. He was woken to the idols in his family. And he said, guys, we can't do this anymore. And his heart changed. And that is what we need in our families, in our church. More and more every day. I see God doing that, and I want more. I want more in my life. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit upon us. And we so need that. I need that. I'm preaching out of a place of need. Not of arrived saying, church, this is is what God is saying to my heart. This is where we gotta go. And he desired to have his family respond and worship. God said, come, just come. And that's what happens. So so often when we're discipling someone, we, we, we go to them and say, hey, you know what? Stop smoking, stop drinking, stop looking at that, stop doing that, and then come to me. Instead of just come with your messiness and let's let God work in their hearts. And there'll be a time as the Holy Spirit is teaching that we can address issues in their lives not because it is the act of smoking or the act of these things it's like oh my gosh we can go down 50 legalistic rules. It's the person's heart it's their heart. I mean you can get someone smoking but what about coffee addiction? you know what about, I mean We can go down 50 different roads if you want to. just let the Holy Spirit change someone from the inside out. And that is what the cross does. It changes us from the inside out and we turn to Jesus and slowly, year after year, after time after time, these things just get pulled away. And that's what we desire. Not religion, the cloak, the fig leaves. We desire the inside out, the shining, the glory, the new man to be revealed day by day. The grace of God in the life of the believer, his kindness leads us to repentance. Yes, Jesus said, preach the gospel. The gospel is repent. It's turn from our sin. Because of the gift. Because God has given grace. So, they work hand in hand. I love that. But Jacob, he was indifferent to the violation of his daughter. He had been indifferent well, he had been, well, he was indifferent to the violation that happened to his daughter and the anger of his sons. He, he responded poorly to that. He was selfish in all these areas. You see these things, but now he's quickened in his spirit to the sensitivity of those issues in his life. And I would encourage you, if you're indifferent towards your spouse, if you're indifferent towards you know, the circumstances that are around you, or if you are trying to go war in your own heart. We've got to put our eyes on Jesus. And he'll quicken, and he'll renew our hearts, and he'll create that love in us and that sensitivity or that restraint in our lives and give us the wisdom that we need to love one another. And that's really what we need, the grace of God in our lives. And so, Jacob, verse 4, we're getting very far here. They gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had in the rings in their ears. And so no earrings, everybody. And Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. They gave him their foreign gods. They gave him the earrings, the gold and stuff that was associated with that worship. It wasn't that earrings were wrong, right? It was that there was There was a a worship. There was association with the gods with these things. They gave it to him. And we'll end here. And Jacob, he buried them under the oak at Shechem. Jacob buried them under the tree. Holy Spirit's so subtle. He's so awesome. That's a powerful picture. All the false gods in our lives buried under the tree. That's what grace does in my life. That's what grace does in your life. Hey, get cleaned up. Bury those gods. Right? Now let the grace of God clean us up. And as the Holy Spirit leads, bury those things under the tree. The cross of Jesus Christ. Church, it's the same with us. When I look out and see some of the things going on in my life and in your lives, And I see how good God is and what he's calling us to. I can't help but say to me and to you, hey, family, let's bury that stuff. You know, and sometimes I can get overexcited and sometimes I can jump over into the Jacobson syndrome, you know, syndrome. That's funny. But, you know, I think the heart of what God is saying, let's, let's bury that stuff in response to his goodness and his grace, you know. And let's be patient with one another and encourage one another. And this is a work that God has continually doing in my heart and my life. Church, God's called us to Bethel. He's called us to the sweetness of his house, to his presence. Let's worship. Let's pray. Let's fellowship. Let's seek him. Let's evangelize. Let's be filled with the word of God. Let's disciple. Let's take this city because of the grace of God affecting us because of what he's done. He's forgiven, and he's redeemed us, and he's called us to such a powerful and meaningful life in him. I want to encourage you to get a book called Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Chew the meat, spit out the bones. Awesome book. But it does change everything. I highly recommend it. God invited Jacob and his family with all their problems to Bethel. And in response to the grace of God, they buried the idols of their lives under the tree, the cross, amen? I'll stop there. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Lord, this morning if there are families if there are relationships if there are people in this room I know there are, there are Lord I'm one of them Father who need to be pulled out of the, the quagmire Lord would you speak to your son or your daughter this morning and say arise don't run come home let's just take a second, take a minute in your heart of hearts and let the Lord speak to any areas of your life. If in your heart and your mind you're thinking about a situation right now, that might be the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. If there's an estrangement, if there's a problem, a difficulty, something that's overwhelming your heart, A mess that you can't get out, out of. What's the Lord calling you to do? Calling you to come to Him first and just receive His goodness and His grace. Don't let that go, church. Realize that you can't conquer that Goliath in your strength. You can't be indifferent enough, enough to it. You can't go out and fight it. You need to rise and go to the Lord and just sit in His presence and enjoy His love. And He will give you perspective and grace in this circumstance. Friends, we were saved by faith and we continue in faith continue to trust him he'll take you he'll take care of you father we lift up all these things in your children's hearts and your minds all the all the scenarios good and hard and difficult and wonderful and we pray that we would just run to your throne in the name of jesus amen